are you smarter than a superstorm? That's the standing question for today. Are you smarter than a superstorm? In the wake of Katrina, Irene and Sandy, questions surface. Certain terms reappear. Global warming. Climate change. Ideologues scream and shout into each other's mouths. People die. Communities suffer. Billions of dollars are washed away. Some mock, some shed tears. Ideologues shout and scream into each other's mouths, none bending an ear. In the sweep of Katrina, Irene and Sandy, millions of trees are stripped from the service of humanity. Groups rise from the floods with unbending resolve. Angels rush in from far and near. We are brothers and sisters again, children of the same hope. Ideologues pause, then begin their shouting again, shouting into each other's mouths, hardly lending an ear. We've called in an expert. Dr. Yearwood is here. My name is Neville D'Angelo. You are on the journey. Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky little problems. We play a few games, too, and attract the remarkable characters of three classic books. Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again. All of which you can get in your favorite format from Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Dr. Yearwood is an expert in urban planning as well as in a branch of geography called fluvial geomorphology. Trust me, I didn't just curse you. He has taught at the University of Florida, Jacksonville University, Georgia State University, and is currently a lecturer at the University of Maryland. 
I will question Dr. Yearwood and invite him to explain to us in simple, non-hyperbolic and unambiguous language global warming, climate change, and superstorms, and for him to suggest to us solutions from his perspective. Then, as, as I do with most of my guests, we will play a game. Are you smarter than a superstorm to see if this expert, Dr. Yearwood, can escape the Devil's Triangle. Yearwood, I'm very grateful that you're here with us. What do you think of Dallas? Um, it's large. <laughs> <laughs> it's large from the air and from the ground, so it's very large. Oh, well, well, welcome. Uh, you know, ever since Sandy came in and ca caused a lot of havoc in the East, uh, where you are, uh, the question has been raised again about climate change, about global warming. And um, I wonder if you could start by trying to clarify those terms for us. What's the difference between global warming, climate change, uh, super storms? All right. The first thing I would like to clarify is um, the difference between climate and weather. Mm -hmm. Weather talks about the state of the atmosphere at a given point in time. For instance, Right now, at this time, in this location, the weather would be, you know, so many degrees, the air, temperature. We'd have wind coming from whatever direction. It might be dry. It might be moist. Mm -hmm. And at that particular time, that's the weather for this time. Mm -hmm. There is no guarantee that tomorrow at this same time, the weather will remain what as is. It wouldn't have the same weather. Mm -hmm. We may have the same weather. It may change. Mm -hmm. And so weather talks about what is happening in our atmosphere at a particular point in time. Mm -hmm. Climate is a little bit different. What climate does, it takes all the information about the weather throughout the entire day, mm -hmm. throughout every day for the year, mm -hmm. every year for a decade, every decade for 60 years, every 60 years for maybe 100 years. Mm -hmm. And then what they do, they average that out. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, then you get an idea of the climate mm -hmm. of an area. Mm -hmm. So weather talks about what is happening at this moment. Climate talks about what has happened for the last 100 years. Mm -hmm. So we know in December it gets a little bit cooler than in August. So mm -hmm. that's the climate. Mm -hmm. It does not mean that in December we will have a day that is um, not warmer than in August. In August we may have a freak time where it gets quite chilly. Mm -hmm. And in December we may have another freak time where it gets a lot warmer, so the weather changes there. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. So weather, weather is short-term and climate is, is a long-term thing. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about global climate change, we are looking at changes that have occurred 
over the long term. So we look at the climate 100 years ago, and we look at the climate today, and we measure the changes, and we see if there have been any noticeable change. Mm -hmm. And that's what we mean by climate change. Mm -hmm. Now, global warming mm -hmm. is simply a warming trend in the atmosphere, mm -hmm. meaning that um, is the atmosphere warmer today, the average atmosphere warmer today, than it was 120 years ago. Mm -hmm. So that's, And so when people talk about the global warming trend, they compare what was what was happening 100 years ago, and they look at what is happening today, mm -hmm. and they look at the trend, so they plot a graph, and they say, well, we notice that it's either getting cooler or warmer. Mm -hmm. So we look at the trends. Mm -hmm. It's the same with people. We, you know, over the Olympic Games, we know that Jesse Owens would not get a gold, gold medal today mm -hmm. because people are running faster. Mm -hmm. They're jumping further. They're jumping higher. Mm -hmm. um, so the trend is we're getting stronger or our techniques are getting better. And so we understand how the human body works. And so we could get more out of it. And so we could do more things with the body. So that is the trend. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's what I mean by when we talk about global warming trend, you know, that's we look at what's happening years ago today. Mm -hmm. So last year's winter mm -hmm. may be colder than this year's winter. It doesn't mean that there's a global warming trend. It just means there's a colder winter. Mm -hmm. For, to figure out the trend, we've got to look at the winters for 150 years ago right up to today. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference, you know. So Now, can you go in for us into global warming? Obviously, when people th think about things getting warmer and warmer, uh, if you're in a, in a place that is getting colder and colder and you still hear people talking about global warming, mm -hmm. um, uh, it, it, it causes a little confusion. So talk about global warming. What, what is that? Oh, to understand global warming, we have to understand how we get warm in the first place. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, it's, and it's a quite simple thing. The sun is the source of our warmth. Mm -hmm. And um, the sun's energy it's called short wave radiation let's call it sw to remember it easily it doesn't waver it comes in a constant amount of energy from the sun and it comes to our atmosphere mm -hmm. the reason why we have differences in temperature in different parts of the globe is because when the sun comes to the edge of our atmosphere what happens something happens with that global that that solar energy that was what we call the short wave radiation, something happens to it. So by the time it reaches the Earth's surface, mm -hmm. it is quite different than when it reached the outer edge of our atmosphere. Think of the atmosphere as a, a, a thin layer of air, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when whatever energy from the sun reaches the Earth's atmosphere, um, it gets to us, some of it gets to us, some of it is bounced back, some of it is absorbed. So the, all the energy that reaches the edge of the atmosphere does not reach the Earth's surface. Mm -hmm. So whatever reach, reaches the Earth's surface now, what it does, it warms that surface up. And then when the surface is warmed up sufficiently, that Earth's surface now emits or gives back that energy in the form of what is known as long-wave radiation. Mm -hmm. And that is what keeps us warm. And so throughout the day, the earth is giving back up its heat. And you notice when the sun goes down, the place is still warm mm -hmm. because the earth is still giving off the heat that it generated during the day. Mm -hmm. And so even when the sun has disappeared over the horizon, the earth is still giving back its heat. 
Now, as it throughout the night, the earth is giving off this heat, but the sun is not putting it back because it's night. Mm -hmm. And so eventually, the earth becomes fairly cool. Mm -hmm. And so in the morning now, the sun reappears faithfully, mm -hmm. and it warms the surface of the earth, and that now, the earth begins to get warm again and gives back up this heat. Mm -hmm. Now, what you should be asking yourself, well, why is it that, you know, the temperature differs from place to place? Mm -hmm. Well, there are certain things that actually um, cause the Earth's temperature to differ from place to place, and one of them is this, mm -hmm. something called the dreaded greenhouse gases. I'm sure you've heard <laughs> about that. Yes, that's right. Yeah. These greenhouse gases are are what actually help to trap or retard this long wave radiation or the energy that comes off the surface of the earth, mm -hmm. right? In fact, it is so efficient that if there were no greenhouse gases, mm -hmm. all right, and greenhouse gases, you have quite a few, mm -hmm. carbon including, methane, and quite a few others. If there were no greenhouse gases, the average temperature on our planet would be minus 2 degrees Fahrenheit, mm -hmm. all right? But right now, the average is 57 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. We take all the temperatures, add them up, mm -hmm. and divide them up. And so that is the temperature, the average temperature in our planet. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if we didn't have these greenhouse gases, we will be freezing even on the tropics, mm -hmm. even sorry, in the tropics and on the equator. Mm -hmm. So we need greenhouse gases. Mm -hmm. This is the problem. Mm -hmm. If we have too much of the greenhouse gases, mm -hmm. well, there now the earth becomes a bit too warm. Mm -hmm. But... That in itself, um, we wouldn't notice that as individuals. We walk in the street. It's a hot day. It's a cold day and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But this is what happens. The earth is very, very sensitive, a lot more sensitive than we actually think. Mm -hmm. A small degree raise, let's say, of two degrees on the average mm -hmm. would cause significant warming, so significant that a lot of the ice on the land on our planet, a lot of that ice, begins to melt a lot faster. Mm -hmm. And where does that excess water go? Well, it goes into the sea. Mm -hmm. And when it goes into the sea, what happens? It raises the volume of the sea. And there you get significant flooding in very low-lying areas. Mm -hmm. And so those are one of the concerns. Now, we if you live in the middle of the States or if you live somewhere which is five feet above the level of the sea, that wouldn't trouble you um, terribly. Mm -hmm. But there are some places that are actually below the level of the sea, and there's a wall to protect those places. Mm -hmm. And there are some places that are, that are at the level of the sea. Mm -hmm. And some of those places, for example, a place called the Maldives, very lovely, beautiful islands in the, Pacific, in the Indian Ocean, and another country called Vanuatu, mm -hmm. those places are low-lying jewels in the water. But the sea is creeping up slowly, noticeably so, mm -hmm. that the flooding is becoming a lot more frequent and a lot more intense. Mm -hmm. And places like Bangladesh are also losing land in significant amounts because the seawater is rising. Mm -hmm. And so the warming trend causes melting of some of the glaciers and the ice caps, which add significant volumes of fresh water to the ocean. Mm -hmm. And that causes, you know, the, the sea to rise. Okay, now there is another problem. Mm -hmm. um, you don't need to know this. You, sorry, you know this already that the, the, the North Pole and the South Pole are covered with ice. We know that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because of the white surface, what happens is that when the sun's rays come, the short wave radiation comes, and it hits these white surfaces, 
they are reflected back up mm -hmm. and a lot of that shortwave radiation goes back up into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And so the place remains fairly cool. Now when the white surfaces are absent, mm -hmm. what happens? The earth absorbs a lot more of the shortwave radiation and then it warms a bit more and it gives off a lot more heat mm -hmm. and so the place becomes warmer. Mm -hmm. And that is known as the albedo effect. And mm -hmm. so if we lose more of this white surface, primarily the ice, mm -hmm. we will get a warmer atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the things we have to look at. So what are some of these greenhouse gases? And this is where we come in. Now, the most powerful, potent greenhouse gas is not carbon. But the reason why carbon gets a lot of notice is because it's one of the most prevalent the numerous. And every living object, whether it's dead or alive, contains carbon. Mm -hmm. If you bury everybody who's dead, and bury all the trees that you cut down in the forest and everything else, and leave it in the ground, it would not add carbon to the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. But the moment you burn it, mm -hmm. there you add significant amounts of carbon. But we are small compared to some of the other things that we burn. For instance, we, we as people, okay. a human organism is small. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if you take something known as a fossil fuel, and the reason why it's a fossil fuel, it's a fuel that's made from something that was once alive but is now dead. Mm -hmm. And examples of these are coal mm -hmm. and petroleum. Those are made from living organisms, primarily um, vegetation mm -hmm. that was buried by the sea and at the magic temperature and pressure mm -hmm. it converted those living organisms to petroleum mm -hmm. and coal. Mm -hmm. Now when we take the petroleum out of the ground and take the coal out it does not add carbon to the atmosphere but the moment we burn it mm -hmm. and when we burn the petroleum we burn it to create energy to run our cars, our mm -hmm. industries mm -hmm. same with the coal, our factories and so on, we make nice things and so that's when we burn it, then we release the locked up carbon that was once in the tissues of those living organisms and the fossils. Mm -hmm. So when we burn the fossil fuels, we add carbon oh, to the yeah, atmosphere. Right. Well, we'll be right back. We'll find out more about how we release this energy and the impacts of that energy um, on, uh, on our climate. noise things are quite a lot clearer at least for me and let's not forget that when the spotlight is off of those who have suffered severe losses in the storm their pain has not gone away let's not forget we're back with Dr. Yearwood. Dr. Yearwood, uh, tell us more about the releasing of the carbon into the atmosphere and the effect that that has on us. Well, uh, the Industrial Revolution was a great thing mm. in that we discovered how to manufacture um, items, let's call them things, mm. um, utilizing energy such as what we find in coal, and um, so we burn coal to turn our machines to produce electricity and so on. Mm -hmm. And that industrial revolution was revolutionary in the sense that 
It allowed us to make a lot more things at a cheaper rate than just the cottage industries, one man making one pair of pants. So we have a machine now that can make 2,000 pairs of pants mm-hmm. in the same time the one man would make the one pair of pants and so which on and so forth, which is great, right, right. which is great. Mm-hmm. And um, measurements of carbon in our atmosphere have shown that there is a very strong correlation between the advent of the Industrial Revolution, revolution sorry, right. and um, the amount of carbon that is being added to our atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's a price that the atmosphere pays because we now are releasing a lot of the carbon into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so the question is this, mm-hmm. and the reason why I want to ask this question is because I know that in the state of Florida, which is, as we all know, above ground, Mm -hmm. and I lived in Florida for several years. I lived in the middle of the state Mm -hmm. in a place called Gainesville. Mm -hmm. In that state, they have some enthusiasts. We call them shark enthusiasts who collect shark's teeth. And the reason reason why the teeth are so um, interesting is that they collect these teeth from the creek beds in Florida, in Gainesville, Florida, and they are able to identify the species of shark mm-hmm. based on the teeth that they have found. Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, sharks don't walk. Mm-hmm. So at one time, sharks actually did swim mm-hmm. over the sea, which was once covering Florida. Mm-hmm. So in the history, the geological history of this earth, there have been cases of severe climate change where it became so warm that a lot of the ice melted and the sea rose significantly to cover places like Florida. Mm-hmm. And then you've heard of the Ice Age, where it became so cold that a lot of the sea got locked up in ice, and so a lot of the land was released mm-hmm. because the sea was removed away from the land. Mm-hmm. And so we have those cycles. Mm-hmm. Now, measurements show that we have more carbon in our atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, is this trend of more carbon a natural phenomena, or is it caused by us? Mm-hmm. Now, it would appear as if we are causing it to spike, but you cannot conclusively say that it, it is not just merely a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can say or postulate that maybe it's a natural thing that the world is getting warmer naturally. Mm-hmm. But you cannot discount the fact that we are adding significant amounts of carbon to the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Because you look at the correlation between the advent of the Industrial Revolution and the amount of carbon we have now and the amount of carbon we had then. Mm-hmm. And so um, the question is no one, actually, the issue is no one is absolutely sure if we are adding 40%, 90%, 99%, 2% of the atmosphere of the carbon that's being you know that we find now in the atmosphere so to actually say that conclusively we are adding x amount of carbon and causing the world's atmosphere to go by x amount of degrees you know raised by x amount of degrees will be unscientific but it's also very unscientific to say that there is not a warming trend because the measurements show it if you want to know if you're getting fat measure yourself weigh yourself you know. Well, could, could I just ask this question then? Um, it, so what was causing the climate changes in the past 
that we know about the ice ages. You said mm -hmm. we knew, and, and you just give some examples of where uh, it must have been warmer, and then, mm -hmm. you know. So what was causing those changes? We know that there was not an industrial revolution yeah, not, back then, no. or maybe there was, and we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so t tell me, t tell me a little bit about the cycle, and then I'll come back to ask you. A it's the same issue where we're not absolutely sure what really killed the dinosaurs. Mm. There's a lot of speculation. Mm. Um, people, you've heard theories about a meteoric impact. Right, right. You've heard theories about um, uh, some spike in the temperature for whatever reason. We're not really sure. We can go back into the history, mm. but no one is absolutely sure why we had these drastic changes to cause the ice age. To cause a warming trend, mm -hmm. but they were there because measurements and core temp core measurements show that they were there. Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot of the landscape in parts of North America mm -hmm. have been um, created by moving ice across the landscape in terms of ice caps and glaciation. Mm -hmm. And you've heard of the Finger Lakes in um, North um, in the state of of New York. And those were caused by ice moving across the landscape. The ice is no longer there. Mm -hmm. And so, in other words, it was so cold that ice had come, permanent ice, or permanent for thousands of years, permanent ice was covering um, way down past the Canadian border mm -hmm. into New York State and further down. Mm -hmm. And so, while we're not sure about what caused those particular trends in, in, in the changes of the temperature, we do know that they, they did exist. Mm -hmm. And it is, um, you can't discount the fact that we may have another change mm -hmm. in the next 20,000 years, we're not sure. Mm -hmm. And exactly what causes those changes, we're not really, really sure. There are a number of ideas, but no one is absolutely sure why the dinosaurs disappeared. Mm -hmm. Some are saying it got significantly warm, too warm, and so their bodies couldn't adapt to the changes. Mm -hmm. And um, others are saying there was a spike in the carbon yeah. and caused a depletion in the atmosphere of oxygen, ox but I'm not sure. Okay. And so, um, but the other question I want to ask is this. Mm. Suppose you want to say, what if, you know, we press a magic button mm. and we stop adding carbon to the atmosphere? Mm -hmm. Will it make a significant difference really? right now? Wow. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard this discussion and I've heard discussions that state that like a car that's going very quickly, even if you apply the brakes straight away, mm -hmm. inertia will keep it going for a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you may not see a significant dip in the temperature, mm -hmm. but eventually the temperature should mm -hmm. um, go down a couple of degrees. Mm -hmm. But how fast and how soon, I am not sure, mm -hmm. because you know we, we're not absolutely sure. Because it took a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Industrial Revolution was, what, 17-something? This is 2012. Okay. Right. It took a long time. Mm -hmm. And so the other question is this. Can we do something to actually slow down the amount of carbon that's being added to the atmosphere? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. But at what price? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. At what price? And, 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 and one of the greatest um, uses of petroleum in this country is transportation, mm -hmm. and face it or not, I've come to I've come to Texas and I've seen Dallas and I know how widespread it is, mm -hmm. and I know that you need a personal vehicle to get to many points in this city, mm -hmm. and so um, if we can get people to drive less, mm -hmm. we would put a significant dent in the amount of carbon that's added to the atmosphere. The issue is, 
can we realistically get people to drive less? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, w- when we are back, I will raise that question to li- for your opinion, but I also want to uh, talk about the location of our cities um, in the light of the possibility of the rising of waters, as you said, due to mm-hmm. the depletion of the, the ice caps. Okay. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. In just a while, Dr. Yearwood will be playing a game on the journey to see if he can escape Devil's Island. I highly recommend to you Rick Couchman's book of poems, Musings from Outside the Universal. You can get your own copy from Amazon.com. Available for your Kindle, Musings. From Outside the Universal by Rick Couchman. We're back with Dr. Yearwood. Uh, Dr. Yearwood, a number of our cities, um, our economic centers, if I should say, seem to be in vulnerable areas, either um, from the problem of the rising of the ocean if um, you know we lose more of our ice caps, or from earthquakes. Um, uh, I, I get the impression that we've got, for some reason, we have planned all our cities or uh, our economic centers in these dangerous areas. Do you have any comment on that? Yes, well, look at New York City and Hurricane Sandy. Uh-huh, yes. And a lot of the damage to the city was made by wind, of course, but more significantly, a lot of the damage was done by flooding. And um, yes, hurricanes bring what are known as storm surges, where the level of the water in coastal areas rises sometimes as high as 25 feet above normal. And the solution for places like New York City um, would seem obvious, let's build a wall. Um, That's not the first city that had walls, for instance, Um, Amsterdam in Holland is located below sea level and they have a triple protection system of dikes. The dreaming dikes, the sleeping dikes, and um, I can't remember the name of the other dikes, but triple protection. So they're used to the walls. And so you could build a wall around New York City and say, well, in case of another Hurricane Sandy, we could build a wall. But there are some cities whose economic engine and survivability depends upon their closeness to the sea because they are incredible recreation centers. For instance, the city of Miami Beach is one such place. I looked at the Chamber of Commerce website once, and for a city of about 50,000 people, they had quite a few million visitors, and in alcohol sales alone for one year, they made over $300 million. This is not Miami. This is, this is the city of Miami Beach, which Beach. is slightly okay, different, right, right, you know? Right, yes, that's Miami. So, and so... If sea levels continue to rise, building a wall to protect that city makes no sense because the great attractor to that city are the beaches. Mm. And um, if you put a wall between the beach and the sea, you have the beach, but you have no sea. Mm-hmm. Picture it. So you mm-hmm. have, mm-hmm. And so what's the point? Nobody's going to come and visit your city. Mm. And so one of the great economic engines is tourism. 
And we have places like the Outer Banks in North Carolina, Ocean City, and so on. And so these great recreation centers are at risk because if seas continue to rise, the beaches will disappear. Mm-hmm. And so it's worth um, being very concerned about this. Well, one temporary solution uh, is done, and it's done, it was done in Miami. It's done many places, something called beach nourishment, mm-hmm. which means to fatten the beach by adding more sand to it. Mm. But after a while, you would lose the fight against that because the water will eventually come so high Mm. in that you will be putting sand that will be higher than even the first floor of the buildings. Mm. Eventually, that's the the doomsday scenario. So it's something that is of concern. And um, if the sea continues to rise inexorably higher and higher, and when I say higher and higher, maybe a few centimeters every few years. Mm-hmm. But in a matter of 20 years, you can have six inches of, of, of sea level rise. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem a lot until you add to that a high tide and you add to that storms. Mm-hmm. So the tides will be higher and the storms will be greater. And so beaches are not permanent things. They're fragile. Mm-hmm. And so, so powerful waves can come and erode and take away a lot of that sand and there's no point in having all these hotels with no sand. <laughs> right? I've actually seen a photograph of a man with a fishing pole dangling into the water, and he was look, sitting on his porch mm-hmm. in a hotel mm-hmm. in South Florida. You know, And they added sand to it, but you can't keep doing right. that forever. Well, that, that, that would make me raise a, a, a question that's probably a subject for another matter. Um, uh, whether our tastes, whether our economic uh, designs are actually putting us in trouble rather than than nature itself. But but when we come back, I, I want to go in a different direction. Okay. So what do you think? Do you think we are designing ourselves into trouble? Dr. with there are a number of other natural disasters we face. Um, you know, we've got earthquakes and tornadoes and so on. Tell us how this all fits in the scheme of things. Has that got anything to do with global warming or um, something else going on? Well, um, it is not very easy to um, pin a lot of the natural disasters that occur on global warming, for instance, earthquakes and the occurrence of earthquakes have very little or nothing to do with um, phenomena that's related to climate change. Um, But the big issue is this. Why do we continue to live in areas Mm -hmm. that are at high risk? Mm -hmm. Why do people live in California? Why do Japanese live where they live, knowing that we have the possibilities of, of earthquakes and tsunamis and so on. Well, the question is this. Because it is worth the risk, it is worth the economic risk. Mm -hmm. There are great economic benefits that are derived from living in these cities, especially coastal cities and earthquake-prone areas, because um, the economic benefits are derived from trading international seaports and shipping ports. And they're great economic centers. The challenge is not to run to the safest place, but to make the place where you live safer. 
by using the most appropriate technology. For instance, the Japanese have devised some methods to survive earthquakes by following the simple adage that earthquakes don't kill you, it's the buildings that do. Because if you're in the middle of a field and an earthquake occurs, it's hardly likely that you'll be killed. But if you are in a flimsy building Mm -hmm. on the 10th floor and it collapses, most likely you'll be hurt or even killed. Mm -hmm. So what engineers are doing, they're devising some special um, platforms upon which buildings are built that actually shimmy or move with the shock waves during an earthquake. Mm -hmm. And so the whole building moves, but that saves the building from crumbling. Mm-hmm. Now, it's expensive, and not all buildings have that design feature, mm-hmm. just the modern ones that have adhered to these particular um, standards and building codes and so on. Mm-hmm. And likewise, if you are living in an earthquake zone, sorry, in a, in a hurricane zone, that's an area prone to hurricanes, the challenge is to use your ingenuity and to see how best you can fight the enemy. Mm-hmm. And the best way to fight the enemy is to know the enemy. Mm-hmm. And that's why every year when a hurricane has developed, believe it or not, people actually go in planes called hurricane hunters. <laughs> they fly into the hurricane through the worst winds, and then they go into the eye, and all along they're making measurements. Mm-hmm. And these trips sometimes take as long as 11 hours mm-hmm. of nonstop measuring and so on because they need to understand and study these related phenomena so that we could... If we know it, we could be able to combat it better. It's impractical to expect us to move every city mm-hmm. that's in harm's way. Mm-hmm. But I think the wonderful challenge is to actually see how best we could live and survive with these naturally occurring phenomena. Mm-hmm. And so earthquakes, we always have them. We know where they occur, but the question is, we're not exactly sure exactly when they will occur. Mm-hmm. Volcanoes, you wonder why people live close to volcanoes? Well, volcanoes give wonderful gifts called incredibly fertile soil Mm -hmm. and people derive incredible economic benefits from using this soil for farming. Mm -hmm. So instead of having one crop per year, you can have three and four, Mm -hmm. but there is always a risk that the giver will come and take away what it is given. So so those are the risks. Right. Mm -hmm. I I appreciate all that you shared with us. Uh, uh, I feel much more intelligent now Dr. Yearwood, but we're going to put you to test. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. All my guests uh, uh, end up playing a game on the journey, and when we're back, we're going to play a game. Okay, then. Is there a prize for me if I win? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I, I think your prize will be your life. <laughs> oh, dear. I think we have an earthquake soon, so I think we can't play this game. I predict one in the next 10 seconds. No. We'll be right back. In the book, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, Baba, the president's youngest legitimate son, is on a quest to find the blue stones. He is in search of a place called Ah. Here he's about to face Miss Universe. This is not your beauty pageant, Miss Universe. This is the Miss Universe. She's only a teen, and he is about to meet her. Now, in this segment, you have the narrator, you have the young holy man, 
you have Baba, and of course, Miss Universe. Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to introduce our game. Here is a passage from Flight of the Fused Monkeys. Still only a teen, this wonderful universe, an adolescent in the joys of her puberty. And she's mine. She's all mine. That's what the young holy man told me. She's yours too. She wants you. She doesn't need you. She just wants you. But do you want her? Who'd care that she chooses to want? We hardly know her, yet. We need her. That's what the young holy man told me. She sings, she dances, she plays, she throws tantrums. She's discovering herself and has invited us to discover her. That's what the young holy man told me. Baba was getting to know her well. He found himself in the center of our adolescent tumult. Her moans gone wild, her mood unpredictable, her will strong, her grip slippery, her energy boundless, her mind undivided, her humor fearless, and yet so very unsure of herself, because she is still discovering herself and wants to be discovered. She asked him repeatedly, "'What will you do with me now?' But she's too impatient to wait for an answer. She always says, engage my fantasy or be gone. She doesn't have time to inquire into doubt. She doesn't care about belief or self. She is just so like it or not. You're always welcome to leave her and go, lest she shoves you out. Baba knew. She was a tumult when he arrived. She could lift him and toss him to the never-ending end. But he took her on. It's your game. I'm here, he said. Let's play. She grinned. Then she said, play. Tsunamis, monsoons, tornadoes, thunderstorms, earthquakes, volcanoes, sandstorms, windstorms, plasma storms. She whips tail when she plays. It's fun to her. She is but a teenager of this marvelous universe, and Baba did not back down. He loved her. She had a great deal of fun. She loves him. He too was young. Oh, inexperience hides so much folly. Dr. Yearwood, Miss Universe issued a challenge to your people, and they have selected you to defend them against this challenge. Should you fail, it will be catastrophic for your people. The question facing you this moment, Dr. Yearwood, is, are you smarter than a superstorm? The challenge requires you to go to the Devil's Triangle. Your only means of transport is by land and water. 
Three islands form the Devil's Triangle, each situated at a different corner of the triangle. Dragon Island is packed with some of the most dangerous volcanoes known. Snake Island is hilly. It is a thriving metropolis packed with skyscrapers, structures rivaling the Leaning Tower of Pisa, Taipei 101, and Burj Khalifa. The third island is Eden's Naval. It is tropical. It features some of the most gorgeous beaches ever discovered. On each island, safely secured against any natural disaster, is a top-secret vial. Your mission, Dr. Yearwood, is to collect those three vials and return them to the mainland. Do so successfully, and your people will be saved. I must warn you, Dr. Yearwood, Miss Universe is here. She is here to play. Lucky for you, though. She's in a very generous mood today. Here is the deal. She has availed herself of only six natural phenomena today. She has offered you the means to secure three she will select the other three under these conditions. Each time you secure a natural phenomena, she will select one until you have secured three and she has selected three with which to play. However, she has reserved the right to choose at her whim and fancy to exchange any one of the phenomena you have secured with one she has selected. Dr. Yearwood, with her three natural phenomena chosen and your three locked away, you must choose your path from island to island to retrieve the three vials. Be aware that each time you step onto an island, she will release one of her natural phenomena. The six natural phenomena available today are tsunami, monsoon, earthquake, thunderstorm, tornadoes, and volcanoes. Dr. Yearwood it is time for you to start securing your superstorms. Um, volcanoes. She has selected tornadoes. Okay. Uh, earthquakes. She has selected monsoon. 
tsunamis. She has selected thunderstorms. Dr. Yearwood. Okay. I'm listening. Tell me. Miss Universe has unlocked your volcanoes in exchange for her monsoon. She now has these three natural phenomena at her disposal. Tornadoes, volcanoes, and thunderstorms. It is time, Dr. Yearwood, for you to choose your path to save your people. We will be able to monitor your thinking. What are the three ones she's going to release? Thunderstorms, volcanoes, tornadoes. I will go to the Snakehead Island, which has the metropolis. Miss Universe released thunderstorms onto Snake Island. Thunderstorms are events that there's a lot of rain, a lot of lightning, a lot of thunder. But basically, if you stay indoors, your your harm is not harmless. It, it's, you're har- I mean, they're harmless as long as you stay indoors. Okay. So that's that's fine. Doctor Yearwood has safely secured his first vial. Um, I will go to the Eden's uh, navel, which is the tropics, which is the beaches. Laughing at her freedom to choose, Miss Universe released onto the island a wicked swirl of tornadoes. Tornadoes, I can survive those because they are storms that are devastating and deadly, but they are narrow. Mm-hmm. And so, with luck, <laughs> I can get out of the way because some of them are half a mile wide. As long as I dodge them, I'll be safe on my tropics beach. Dr. Yearwood has safely secured his second vial. However, the final island is Dragon Island, and Miss Universe has. In her hand, volcanoes. Well, there are a couple of reasons. Now, I've known of a case where somebody survived in St. Pierre, uh-huh. all right, in Martinique. This volcano blew, and he survived because he was in a bunker. Uh-huh. Yes, he survived. So Everybody else died except him, and he was a prisoner. He survived in his bunker. So you will get yes. into a bunch of things. Yes, you are, it is a survivable thing. Yeah! So, Dr. Yearwood, it seems that you have saved your people. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Flight of the Fused Monkeys is available in your favorite format at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Remember to pause along the way and touch somebody. See you next week.